My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to Season 3 of the 21st Century Creative. Goodness, the show is starting to feel a little grown up. But not too grown up, I hope. Not just yet. If you have enjoyed Seasons 1 and 2, I think you will find Season 3 agreeable. I have another great lineup of guests. I've personally been on a fascinating journey talking to them all. And I'm looking forward to taking you over the same terrain over the next 10 weeks. If you're new to the show and you are a creative professional looking for some inspiration and practical guidance to help you thrive in the 21st century, then you've come to the right place. My name is Mark McGuinness. I'm a poet and a coach for creative professionals. And I've created this show to share what I've learned on the creative path as well as interviewing outstanding creators to see what we can all learn from their example. During each season, I send out a new episode every Monday for 10 weeks. In the first part of the show, I offer my own thoughts on becoming a better creator. And in the second part, I interview a guest who's doing great work in the arts or creative industries, or as a creative entrepreneur, or in a field of personal development or technology that's relevant to you as a creative. This season, my guests include an artist who creates his pictures by writing computer code, an entrepreneur who reopened a factory that had been closed for over a decade with the aim of rehiring all the workers in the town who had lost their jobs, a coach who has worked with Olympic athletes and US presidential candidates. An entrepreneur on a mission to change the world by creating a billion-dollar perpetual investment fund for female entrepreneurs. And a writer whose formative experience was working as an emergency room doctor. And for the first time this season, I have two returning guests. I hadn't really thought of inviting guests back onto the show this early, but then two of them went and wrote books that I think are essential reading for all 21st century creatives, so I've invited them back. The first of these is today's guest, Stephen Pressfield, who really knocked it out of the park, as I believe the Americans say, with his latest book, The Artist's Journey. If you liked his classic book, The War of Art, then you'll want to hear Steve's thoughts about the bigger picture of our journey through this life on the artist's path. And as always, I do encourage you to listen to all of the interviews in the season. Of course, I would say that, wouldn't I, having just gone to the trouble of recording them. But I want to emphasise that this is not a show just for artists or just for writers or just for filmmakers or musicians or any other kind of creative. So we don't geek out on the finer points of detail about the publishing world, or which galleries are in vogue this season, 
or how to improve your kerning or your guitar solos or, or whatever. We focus on the fundamentals. Things like the inspiration, the motivation, the resilience, the self-awareness, the strategy, and the, the sheer bloody-mindedness that are essential to succeeding in any creative path. So I was delighted to read this recent review of the podcast on iTunes by Moss Chopper. This podcast has helped me so much in my work and life. Thank you. The episodes that surprise me the most are the ones where I think the guest might have nothing in common with what I do. The jeweler episode really went to the absolute core of going out on a limb with a creative idea and going through with it to completion. Thanks again. Now, the episode Moss Chopper's talking about here is Daniel Betcher's from season two. Daniel is the founder of The Intrepid Wendell, a high-end jewellery salon in Washington, D.C. Now, most of us don't have a business like Daniel's. <laughs> Even most jewellers don't have a business like Daniel's. But if you listen to that interview, you'll hear that Daniel has based his whole business on joy. The motto of The Intrepid Wendell is we love to share your joy. And he and his team live those words every day. And I think, at least I hope, we would all want to have more joy in our lives and in our work. What would your career or your business look like if you decided to use it as a way to share joy? That's the kind of question you'll encounter when you listen to the conversations on the 21st Century Creative. So before we plunge in, there are a couple of things that are new and different about the show since season two. Firstly, there is now a book to accompany the podcast. It's called 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives. And it includes a lot of the insights that I first introduced right here on the show. Plus, several more for good measure. I designed it to be a kind of pocketbook that you can keep handy on your phone and dip into when you have a bit of quiet time in your day, or when you're having a bad day, and you want to remind yourself what's important about the path you've chosen. And you'll be pleased to know that the ebook edition of the book is free. So to pick up your copy, then go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 21insights and download it right now. And the second shiny new thing we have for season three is transcripts of every interview. This is something quite a few of you have requested, so I'm very happy to provide them, as it obviously makes the show accessible for those of you with hearing impairments or who just like to be able to read the text. To get the transcripts, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm and click on an episode title and you'll find the transcript right there in the show notes. Right now, I've had transcripts done for every interview in season three, so they'll be there as soon as the episode rolls out. I'll shortly go back and do transcripts for seasons one and two, so I'll let you know when those are up on the site. So, 
here we are, on the threshold of a new season, and very shortly, a new year. If you want to contact me with feedback about the show, you can always reach me via the contact form at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you want to make sure you receive every episode of the show as soon as it comes out, make sure you're subscribed in iTunes. And if you are an experienced creative and you want to make big changes in your creative work or your career or your business, then maybe you'd like me to help you one-on-one as a coaching client. This is my main business. I've been doing it since 1996 and I've worked with hundreds of clients over the past two decades and a bit. So if you're facing a big challenge in your creative career, chances are I've heard about it many times before and helped plenty of other creatives get through it. And if you have a big, inspiring, crazy ambition that you want to achieve in your lifetime, that is exactly the kind of thing I love to help with. So, if you're ever interested in getting my help as a private coaching client, you can learn more about this at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching. Okay, folks, it's time for us to get started in earnest on Season 3 of the 21st Century Creative. Today's theme is Find Your Medium, Choose Your Media. One of your first tasks as a creative is to find your primary medium, your means of expression. This is composed of the raw materials and the artistic forms you use in your work. If you're a novelist, journalist, poet or screenwriter, your medium is the written word. If you're a comedian, or a conference speaker, your medium is the spoken word. Conversation is the medium of chat show hosts, psychotherapists, consultants, and podcasters. A photographer or a painter's medium is made up of light and shadow, colour and composition. Musicians play with rhythm, harmony, and melody. Movie directors work with script, actors, and crew. Mastering your medium is the bedrock of your creative practice. It's how you do your best work, the work for which you will, hopefully, be remembered. I say find your medium rather than choose it, because I don't think we have a choice in the matter. When you find your medium, it's more like discovery or recognition than a decision. When I was a boy, I used to draw and paint all the time. But as a teenager, I fell in love with poetry and left my art behind. There was no choice to make. To achieve mastery, it helps to have a teacher and a group of peers to spark off, compete with, and measure yourself against. It could be a class, a group of apprentices, the writer's room on a TV show, or the creative department in an agency. And whether you work alone or with others, There's no substitute for practice. Mastering your medium is essential, but it's not enough. As well as a means of expression, you also need media 
a means of communication. Your media is how you share your work with the world. Without media, your medium won't amount to much more than a pile of manuscripts in your cupboard or a hard drive full of brilliant work that no one ever sees. In some cases, your medium and your media may be identical or very similar. If you're a newspaper columnist, then your articles are your medium and their appearance in the newspaper constitutes your media. If you're a photographer, then it's a short step from taking a photo to sharing it on Instagram. But in some cases, a creative's medium and media can be different but complementary. The non-fiction writer with a blog. The stand-up comedian with a YouTube channel. The artist with an email newsletter. The <coughs> poet with a podcast. And so on. While I don't believe you choose your medium, I do think you can choose your media. And even change it. Choosing and building your own media platform can be a fun and rewarding challenge in its own right. And it may well evolve and change over time, as the media landscape changes, or as you discover new and exciting ways to get your work out there. Like your medium, your media will take time to master. You may well need a different teacher and a different group of peers to help you with this. Here are some other considerations. Your media mustn't take too much time and creative energy away from your medium. It must be enjoyable for you to produce, otherwise it won't be sustainable. It must also be attractive enough to your intended audience. It would probably be hard work promoting classical music on Snapchat. A 5,000-word essay may not get people into your cartoons. Although it worked pretty well for Hugh McLeod at gapingvoid.com, so don't rule anything out. Your medium should also slot easily into your schedule. You could have a daily routine of sharing photos on Instagram or tweeting from your phone, or a weekly rhythm of recording video or audio outside of your writing or painting or rehearsal time. Find your medium. Choose your media. If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money, how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, 
go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Stephen Pressfield has not one, but two distinguished careers as a writer. Firstly, as the author of a string of best-selling novels, including The Legend of Bagger Vance, Gates of Fire, Tides of War, Killing Rommel, and The Knowledge. He's also widely respected in the creative community for his books for creatives, including The War of Art, Turning Pro, Do the Work, and his latest book, the Artist's Journey. Steve was one of the very first guests on the 21st Century Creative, right back at the start of season one, where he and I talked about truth, fiction, and the art of storytelling in relation to his novel, The Knowledge. When I saw the subject of The Artist's Journey, I knew I had to invite him back, for two reasons. Firstly, because it's a great book of guidance for any artist or creative drawing on the mythical archetypes described by Joseph Campbell in his classic book The Hero with a Thousand Faces, published in 1949. And secondly, on a more personal level, I read several of Campbell's books about 25 years ago, and they made a profound impression on me. Campbell was a truly remarkable teacher and scholar who could take stories from ancient Greece or China or Rome and make them relevant and even urgent for modern readers. So I was really excited when I saw that Steve was writing a book called The Artist's Journey, building on Campbell's work with his own insights into the nature of story and creativity. And when I read Steve's book, there was one insight in particular that stopped me in my tracks and made me look at my own journey in a different light. When I finished the book, I asked Steve if he would be kind enough to come back on the show and share more of his wisdom with you. And as before, he was very generous and gave me a terrific interview. If you've ever asked yourself some of the big questions about life and art, and you want some help orienting yourself in your own journey as a creator, then this conversation with Steve is a great place to start. And if you're inspired by Steve's approach to getting your work done, then you might want to check out a new series he's launching called Black Irish Jabs, short, sharp books that will give you a shot of creative adrenaline. Just head over to Steve's publishing site, blackirishbooks.com, and look for the Black Irish Jabs, and you can sign up to get a new creative jab every month. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, Mark. It's great to be with you again. We seem like we just did this a couple of months ago, but it's great to be back. Well, it's great. And, and we're back with something related, but, but really quite different, I think. So 
Um, and that is the hero's journey. And, and you're building on top of it the artist's journey. Now, this is actually a topic that's really quite close to my heart because I think it must be 25 years ago I first read Joseph Campbell's classic book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it made a really big impression on me. And, you know, when I saw that you were building on the hero's journey idea with the artist's journey, I, you know, it felt like Christmas had come early. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad that we've got the chance to talk about this because I think it's a really, uh, maybe an unexpected, but absolutely central uh, topic for any creative. Um, so I'm curious, Steve, when did you first come across the idea of the hero's journey? It was definitely during my uh, screenwriting career, and uh, which was like mm -hmm. back in uh, the late '80s and all the way through the '90s. And you remember, if you remember, when the when Star Wars originally came out, yeah, there was a big uh, deal that L George Lucas, when he wrote the script, had basically taken Joseph Campbell's concept of the hero's journey and done it beat by beat for Luke Skywalker's, you know, passage in, in Star Wars. Yeah. And the reason that he did that was because he thought it was a, a universal, it would have universal appeal. And obviously it did witness, you know, what happened with Star Wars. So in the movie business at that time, all of a sudden, everybody was talking about the hero's journey. And every executive that you would take a script or a new script to, they would kind of ask you those beats, you know, where's the crossing the threshold moment? <laughs> where's the call? Where is the meeting with the mentor? That kind of thing. So uh, that made me read The Hero with a Thousand Faces and everything else I could kind of get my hands on. And so that was when I first really front of mind became aware of the concept of the hero's journey. And for anybody who's listening to this that, that you know this is a new concept could could you maybe give us a whistle stop tour of the, <laughs> the profound story in all of human history according to joseph campbell <laughs> well joseph campbell was an american academic he died a little while ago and uh he wrote the hero with a thousand faces and a bunch of other things but he studied the myths of all kinds of people's you know races all over the world, and he discovered that there seemed to be this one sort of ur myth, you are myth, that every culture seemed to have. And it was a, a story, a story that happened to a hero, whether it was, you know, the Odyssey and it was Odysseus or it was Beowulf or the Norse epics or whatever it is. And he sort of boiled down this myth to a number of beats, like about 12 beats or so. And uh, if you want to, we can kind of go over at least a couple of those. You know, you tell me if you want to yeah. do that. Yeah, let's do that because it, it starts to become real when you okay when you do that. So the first few beats of the of the hero's journey, and it, maybe it's a good idea for our listeners to sort of keep in mind the plot of Star Wars as you hear this. And the hero's journey starts. Step one is what they call the ordinary world, and it's just the hero doing his normal you know, regular stuff, right? But underneath this, so that would be like Luke Skywalker on the evaporator farm, or it would be a Dorothy in Kansas, yes. or it would be Rocky. If you remember the movie about the, the prize fighter, when he's just kind of a ham and egg bum on the streets, you know? And then, so that's the, the ordinary world. Step one, chapter one. 
Then comes this thing called, this is the famous thing of Joseph Campbell, the call or the call to adventure. And what that would be is some sort of a, just, well, just what it sounds like, a call to adventure. For instance, in, uh, in um, uh, The Wizard of Oz, it's when Dorothy gets picked up by the tornado. In uh, Star Wars, it's when Luke discovers R2-D2 and that message, the help message where Princess Leia says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Yeah. And then I'm only going to do a few beats just because I don't want to bore everybody, but just to get the feeling yeah. of it. And the immediate beat that comes after the call is the refusal of the call, which is sort of interesting. But it's all the hero always seems to at first balk and not want to go do the call to adventure. And then after that, the next beat is what they call the meeting with the mentor. And that can be either an external or internal mentor. Like in Star Wars, it's the moment when Luke takes R2-D2 over to Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's the mentor. And uh, what happens in, in, in the myth is the mentor gives the hero the courage to go forward. And sometimes he will also give them magical amulets or a secret weapon or something like that. And then the next beat, and this is the last beat, I'll stop here to is called crossing the threshold. And at that point, the hero sort of leaps off the cliff and leaves the ordinary world and enters the extraordinary world. So if it were Star Wars, that would be when Luke and uh, and Obi-Wan Kenobi go and meet Han Solo and they become involved in the whole um, rebellion, the rebel alliance. Or if it was Rocky, it would be when he says, okay, I am gonna train, I'm gonna fight the champ. So it, then there are a number of beats that kind of go on after that. And the final beat in the hero's journey is the hero kind of returns to where he or she started. Like if it's Dorothy, she comes back to Kansas. Or if it's Odysseus, he returns to Ithaca, to his home. But the key part of that final return is they come back as a changed person. They're at a much higher level from where they were when they started. And they also don't come back empty-handed, but they come with a, quote, gift for the people. And that gift comes out of their solitary suffering and what, what they've learned. So, like, for instance, when Odysseus returns to Ithaca, the kingdom is in total disarray and with the suitors going after Penelope and all that sort of stuff. And Odysseus kills all the suitors and he brings the kingdom back into balance. And that's that's his gift for the people, and that's the last beat of the hero's journey. And it's, I mean, I don't know what your experience was like, but for me, it was a real, it was like a magic eye or an X-ray for stories. You know, that I started to see it everywhere. I mean, you could take that basic template, and it applies to you know ancient Greek myths, to stories from the Bible, to you know Moses going up the mountain and coming back with the tablets, or to the Buddha sitting under the tree until he's enlightened and he comes back with the gift of, of, of you know, wisdom and insight for the human race. And it, and yet you, it can be there for the, you know, the Saturday afternoon entertainment in the, in the cinema. Yeah, it's, it's true. Once you sort of become aware of that, you see it in every story and you can see that the creators of the story knew about it. Either they, they knew it consciously or they instinctively had it in their blood and they kind of built their story, you know, that way. Um, but what's interesting to me, Mark, beyond, way beyond that, is that 
The hero's journey is a living, breathing thing in our real lives. And we all, it, you know, it is a like a piece of software that we're born with. And um, like a, I kind of analogize it to a, a young woman's biological clock, right? Where a woman will just feel at a certain point that she's got to have a baby, right? She's got to find a man and, you know, and, and do what she was sort of put on earth to do. And I think that the hero's journey, that sort of piece of code that's sitting in our brain kind of demands to be lived out in real life. And that's sort of why, you know, usually let's say for a young man, the young man will, you know, join the special forces or, you know, go off to, uh, you know, Bangladesh or something, you know, go on some kind of, a call will come and the young man will answer. It's like he's driven and young women too, to do that. So that's the hero's journey in our, in our real life. And it's a little unsettling, isn't it? To think that, that this is implanted inside us a bit like a destiny. I mean, you know, we're not tempted to think, to quote Monty Python and say, no, no, we're all individuals. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to strike my own path. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, it's a good question, but you know, I was just I was thinking about this last night because I knew we were going to be talking about this. And as Joseph Campbell and also C. G. Jung, who was a big believer in this thing, they thought that the reason the hero's journey is encoded in our brains is it it's kind of a part of the collective unconscious that over the over the you know the millions of years of evolution of the human race that this sort of thing start, happened over and over and over and over again to everybody. And so to make it a little bit easier on us, uh, they put this, you know, our, this code sort of developed in our brains. Sort of like, a, you know, let's say a, a bird that's going to migrate, you know, a thousand miles across the ocean. Yeah. You know, there would be a sort of an instinctive code or piece of software in their brain that would help them to do that. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about back in the days when we were hanging around the cave, right? We could do the mm -hmm. hero's journey out of that. This was to be something that would happen over and over again. We'd be in the ordinary world. We're hanging around the cave. We're eating the last of the meat that we've got. And suddenly the meat starts to run out, right? Everybody's starving. Our wives and children are getting a little upset. That would be the call, right? The call to adventure. And then yeah. the caveman would say, you know, I don't want to go out there. Those mastodons are really tough. It's cold. I don't want to do it, you know? They would go to the mentor of the tribe. He'd say, hey, you got to go out there and get some meat. We're starving and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that story would sort of live out, you know, over and over and over again. And it makes sense that it might finally sort of sink into our psyche and just be there waiting for us and compelling us to live it out. And do you think this is why we we value stories so much? I mean, absolutely, pretty, pretty yeah. Constant in human culture. I mean, what what's the function of the the storyteller then in this context? I think that the story we we as listeners to stories we feel this inside ourselves, this hero's journey, and we sort of love. We can't get enough of it, right? It's like you can, as a storyteller, you could do a Clint Eastwood movie or a Steve McQueen movie or any you know any sort of book. And it never gets mm -hmm. old because we sort of need to be reinforced in it, that it is true. And, and to live it out through a story encourage us, encourages us in our own hero's journey, you know, to have, you know, when we hit intense adversity, to be able to fall back on stories that we see that would encourage us to, you know, to stay the course and keep, keep fighting through and live out our own hero's journey. 
And I'm a believer that we have many, many heroes journeys through the course of our life, you know, but there usually is one kind of central one. And let me go forward, Mark, to the con- the central concept of, of my book, The Artist's Journey. And the concept of this book mm-hmm. is that once we have lived out our hero's journey, and I want to ask you about this in your own life, Mark, when we live out our hero's journey as artists, the final beat, the kind of return to where we started from, is when we, when we finally confront our own gift and we say, I'm tired of running away from this. I've been self-destructing. I've been procrastinating. I've been going into shadow careers and all other things. I'm through with that. I'm going to finally confront my gift as a writer, an artist, an entrepreneur, whatever it is. I'm going to, and at that point, the thesis of this book is the hero's journey ends and the artist's journey begins. And the artist's journey is when we face our gift and we start to then ask questions like, well, what is my gift? If I'm a writer, what do I want to write? Do I want to write movies? Do I want to write video games? Whatever. If I'm an entrepreneur, I, we start to ask ourselves, well, what, what is my special talent that I can bring to the world? What do I have that nobody else has? And at that point, we sort of, quote unquote, turn pro. And we now kind of set ourselves the task of getting up at a certain time in the morning, taking care of our health, studying under uh, under people who can teach us how to do what we want to do, allying ourselves with partners who are similarly inclined, and so on and so forth. We become pros and we then, for the rest of our lives, our job is about producing the art or the business or the new ideas that we were put on this planet originally to do. And that's the artist's journey. The artist's journey comes after the hero's journey. That's the thesis of this book. I mean, that's a, a huge idea. I mean, I, when I first saw you blogging about this, I remember that bit just hit me between the ears. And I thought, wow, suddenly my my 20s made a lot more sense to me. Because <laughs> I could see it kind of pl- having played out in my own life. Do I dare ask you to give us a quick precy of your own hero's journey and when it ended? Well, well, this is a family show, so let's <laughs> so let, let's keep it uh, within certain parameters. But no, I, there's a couple of things that made me think of. One was when I was at university, the the literary society had as a guest Leon Garfield, the novelist, and you know we had a chance to he he, he read and he he talked, and we had a chance to ask a question. And my question was. What would you say to somebody who's considering a career as a writer? And I really didn't want to hear the answer he came back with, which was do something else first. Oh, really? That's interesting. Great. I certainly couldn't agree more. Right. And I think he'd been in the Navy and he'd had all kinds of adventures. He said, because until you've lived a bit of life, there's not much to write about. But of course, I, I wanted to go straight to the to the writing about it part. And, but it made me realize, you know, all through my 20s, really, I had this nagging sense of, obviously, I was, I was on a, an odyssey myself learning, you know, tr- trying to work out what my work was going to be. And I was as, trained as a psychotherapist and, you know, goodness, that, that was an odyssey in itself. And then, of course, all the, the people I got to work with, with all kinds of different challenges and issues and adventures that they were undergoing, 
but all the way through, I, I had this nagging sense of, well, I should be writing more poetry. Uh-huh. And why can't I write more? You know, I just felt that I was not, I was neglecting my gift, which in, and it was, wasn't until I got to my thirties and I got some sense of the track I was on professionally and romantically and, and so on that I actually started to turn pro as a writer and discovered actually now it's time to pick up the, you know, the writing tools properly. And that was when I met my other mentor, Mimi Calvati, uh-huh. who was on the show in the last yeah. season. And, you know, she helped me to kind of cross the threshold as an artist. But it, it really became quite clear to me when I read your book, The Artist's Journey, that the one, you know, one coming before the other and as a kind of precursor to the other was really um, was really important. And I think I could have done knowing that in my 20s. It maybe <laughs> would have taken a bit of the pressure off to be, you know, to be churning out great verse before I'd, I'd really lived much of life. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of, I sort of was the same way where I had my own kind of three or four year thrashing around hero's journey. And if I had, if I had known there was such a thing, it might've eased the pain a little bit, but l- let me read something from the artist's journey. And this isn't something I wrote. This is a quote from Roseanne Cash's book. And this is kind of about mm-hmm. for your listeners who might not know who Roseanne Cash is. She's a, uh, a, a singer, an American singer, Johnny Cash's daughter. And um, mm. this is from her book, her autobiography, Composed. And uh, I won't read this too long, but it'll, it's not too long, but it'll really give you a sense. Uh, this is about the moment in her life when she sort of, when her hero's journey ended and her artist's journey began. And oddly enough, or maybe not so oddly, it was a dream that she had. And the gist of the dream was, and she was already a successful musician, a successful singer. She had like four number one hits, uh, but she was not, what she really wanted to do was write her own material and create her own material. And she wasn't doing that. She was covering other people. People were writing songs for her. And so she had this dream that the conclusion of the dream was she woke up and she realized, I'm a dilettante. I'm not, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is, this is what she says in, in her book. I'm just going to read this shortly. From that moment, I changed the way I approached songwriting. I changed how I sang. I changed my work ethic and I changed my life. The strong desire to become a better songwriter dovetailed perfectly with my budding friendship with John Stewart, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can, she, she, she began to study. Let me see. Let me put, mm. cut down here a minute here. Be patient. Um, if I found myself drifting off into daydreams, an old entrenched habit, I pulled myself awake and back into the present moment. Instead of toying with ideas, I examined them and I tested the authenticity of my instincts musically. I stretched my attention span consciously. I read books on writing by Natalie Goldberg and Carolyn Heilbronn, et cetera, et cetera. And she says, she concludes it. She says, Rodney Kroll, who was her then husband, was at the top of his game as a record producer. But I had come to feel curiously like a neophyte in the studio after the dream. Everything seemed new, frightening, and tremendously exciting. So that was sort of that the concept of her kind of saying, I got to get my act together. You know, I'm going to start studying seriously. I'm going to wake up earlier and all that sort of stuff that one does 
when you switch from the hero's journey of thrashing around to the, to the artist's journey of actually producing the works that you were born to produce. So how can we know when we're being called to the artist's journey? You know, how, how do we know when it's time to show up in this different way? You know, in my experience, Mark, there's no missing the moment. It's like a big, big moment. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of like the one thing I sort of analogize it to is when somebody has uh, uh, problems with alcohol, they have issues with alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. And they're in denial of it, even though they're going out and getting drunk and their family has had interventions with them and so on and so forth. There's usually some horrific moment when they hit bottom hit absolute bottom and uh, they say to themselves, uh, you know, it's just very clear, right? I got to change the way I'm living. You know, if I keep going like this, I'm going to be dead, you know? And oddly enough, if you think of it in story terms, like in novels or movies, a lot of times that's sort of the climax of a movie. You know, the hero kind of hits that point and then, you know, the denouement is them starting off on the, on that new life, taking the first steps into the new life. And what that new life really is, is the art, their artist's journey or their entrepreneur's journey or whatever it is. They've sort of uh, put the madness behind them and just, and started to buckle down and take themselves seriously and take their gift seriously. You know, as an example, uh, I was just watching the movie Goodwill Hunting the other night. You remember that one with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? Was that at all big in the UK. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think I saw it over Christmas one it, year. You know, if you sort of, if you remember the movie, the, Matt Damon plays this. Uh, he's like twenty years old, and he's a mathematical genius. You know, he has this incredible gift, but he's working as a janitor at, at MIT, yeah. and one of you know, and uh, and the whole when the movies he goes through. He goes through therapy with Robin Williams as his shrink and Minnie Driver becomes uh-huh. his girlfriend. And when all is said and done, the bottom line is he finally stops being this uh, sort of guy who's in denial of his gift and he embraces it. And the, the, the last scene is him driving off to California where from Boston where to meet up again with Minnie Driver, who's, uh, who's out there at Stanford. And you know that he's finally going to embrace his gift. And in other words, that's a moment when he switches from his hero's journey to his artist's journey. Mm-hmm. Because oddly enough, sort of a lot of movies end at that moment. Right? They end at the sort of happily ever after moment, and they never really show you what happens after that. You know, and I think that's because the artist's journey is not cinematic. It's not very dramatic. I was just going to say that. I mean, did you see the movie Sideways? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and without kind of spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen it, at the end, you know, one of the characters is a wannabe writer, and at the, it's only at the end of the movie he sits down and starts doing his work. And, of course, as you say, it's not, a, not so cinematic. Right, it's so that's where out. That's enough. To fade. <laughs> but it's true. Like with you, if you settle down and you say, okay, I'm going to really take poetry seriously, Right. It's not very cinematic, right? You're going to start studying the masters. You're going to, you know, set up your life so that you can have a block of time every day when you can totally focus and go deep, right? Maybe you were living with some crazy woman and you say, well, I can't do that anymore, you know? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm too boring for that now. <laughs> but, you <laughs> yes, know, the artist's journey is kind of boring. The only thing that isn't boring is the work, you know? Right. And, and so you make this point in the book really well. So from the outside, it's boring. It's just some guy sat in the library or, or, or someone in her studio. But from the inside, you say, you know, the, the obstacles were all mental, right? Yeah. And, of course, from the inside – What's happening is that you, the artist or the entrepreneur, are finally aligning yourself with your gift. And you're really answering the question, who am I? Which kind of underlies everything, right? And um, one of the things that I, that, I, that I do in the artist's journey is I kind of uh, list like all of the albums that Bruce Springsteen has done or all the books that Philip Roth has done, uh, you know? Mm. And, and when you look at them in, in sequence, right, down the page, you can see how they're, they're on a theme, they're all kind of tied together, and you can see how they, they evolve over time. Yeah. Pick yeah. any, you know, Woody Allen's movies, anything, you know? And uh, that is the artist's journey. And through those... Springsteen albums, let's say one after the other, you can see how he's really learning who he is. With each one, he kind of goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And he's also learning what his obsession is, what he was put on this planet to investigate. So, I mean, what should we be looking out for? Where should our intention and our attention be when we're on the artist's journey? Um, I think it sort of, in a way, it kind of spells itself out uh, because it's the, the question we're asking is, what is my gift? What is my unique ability? What, what, was I, what is unique to me that I can give to the world? So, you know, I was also I was thinking about, do you know the story of how FedEx started the the mail delivery service. They have that in England, right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I, I don't know the name of the guy who founded FedEx, but apparently he was a soldier in Vietnam. And he either, when he came back from Vietnam, he was racked with guilt that he had been part of something that was terrible and destructive and et cetera, et cetera. And he kind of said to himself, I've got to do something that's positive for the world. Mm-hmm. And so that was, in hero's journey, artist's journey terms, that was end of his hero's journey, start of his artist's journey. So apparently he was not a dummy. He knew, he knew what he was doing. And he had mm-hmm. this brainstorm that to deliver packages, what if, it's like, instead of like the post office, it goes from one post office to another post office. He said, what if every night... We took every FedEx parcel and flew them all to Memphis, Tennessee. And that was our, and then we sorted them overnight, put them on a plane and sent them back to the other side. And that sounds like a completely crazy idea. Like if I live in Los Angeles, so if I'm sending a package to the other side of Los Angeles and I do it by FedEx, it flies to Memphis 2,500 miles overnight and then flies back. But apparently that worked. And so that in that guy, I wish I knew his name. I'm sure he 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 sort of had to get his act together. He thought, well, how can I finance this? Where am I going to get the money? How can I? Where should I put my main depot? 
What city should should it be in? How can I get tax breaks, et cetera, et cetera? In other words, he really sort of got down to business. And then I'm sure he had to say to himself, how do I organize my day that works for me so that I can accomplish this, right? Am I a morning person? Am I an evening person? That sort of stuff. Who do I hire? Who, how, do I, how do I treat my employees? So in other words, it sort of comes down to a lot of kind of nuts and bolts stuff. Right. So this is something I'm, I'm curious about, that on the one level, it's, you know, we're talking about mysticism, we're talking about mythology, we're talking about, you know, ethereal planes of reality, if you like. And on the yeah. other level, it's, it's very down to earth and nuts and bolts. And how do we get from Memphis to Los Angeles and back again? <laughs> Could, can you say something about the relationship between the two? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it is curious that the artist journey is a kind of a weird and mystical amalgam of, of, of the mystical and of the matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, as a poet, let's say, you've got to, uh, where do you get your ideas? Where do you know to write what, what poem comes to you? So on the one hand, you have to sort of uh, perfect that skill, however you do it yourself. I'm talking about you, Mark, now, is, mm-hmm. is yeah. what state of mind do you get into so that you can kind of be inspired where you can tap into that, that part of your unconscious, your muse, that's the sort of mystical side of it. And that's a a real skill, you know, that, that takes a long time to learn, I think, in my experience. And then the other side of it is the down to earth part, like what Roseanne Cash said, where she would start to seriously study singing. And she talks about how she trained like an athlete as she would run and that sort of stuff of, of just how do I organize my day? How do I organize my week, my month, my year so that I can be productive? But while we're being productive, then we're in the sort of the mystical world of where do ideas come from? How do I, how do I get ideas? How do I know a good one from a bad one? That kind of thing. And it's, that's why it's not so easy being on the artist's journey and, and why a lot of people don't make it. Because you've got to live in the two worlds at once is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think so. You know, when, uh, when a musician, when Keith Richards, when they send him down into the basement to come back with a riff, you know, what does he do? You know, he, 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 that, that's a kind of a mystical process, isn't it? And it, I, I've seen him talk about it and read his book and he's, uh, he can't put his finger on it. It's just a, it's just a, you know. It's, it's the creative process that, that is a mystery and remains a mystery. But a guy like him has learned to kind of open the channel to his unconscious and to his muse, and the music comes through. And at the same time, he's got the technical ability to actually exactly. translate that. You know, he can't yeah. just be, hey, guys, I had this great thing down in the basement. I wish you could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> he can play it for us. You know, when they talk about Keith Richards being this crazy guy that's been into drugs and blah, 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 blah. but it seems to me that it's sort of amazing that despite all of that stuff, he was able to deliver repeatedly, you know? So maybe he wasn't quite as out of control as uh, he might like to pretend he was. Yeah. Well, maybe there's, maybe there was a time and a place for one and and the other. Cause I mean, when you see comes across as quite thoughtful and intelligent and, the sheer technical ability he's got, you know, he must have put in the hours to practice. And And we certainly know the guy's an amazing student of music and blues. And, you know, he knows everything, you know, as far as, uh, 
every artist that ever did anything. I mean, he's he studied them in great depth. And, you know, picking up on the poetry question just now, I mean, it made me think, yeah, I mean, the poem usually starts, for me, there will be a line that comes into my head. Nearly always it's a line. And I feel a little bit like I've been given one tile from, uh, you know, an old building that's been dug up. Ah, but, that's a great analogy. I've never heard that before. But what I need is the, is the kind of the historical knowledge, if you like, of, of, and the technical skill to be able to look at that and go, oh, this was a Roman villa. Or it was a you know medieval church, or it was a I don't know a, a Viking bathhouse or something, uh-huh. and then extrapolate the rest of it because you you know you've got one line you think well what would rhyme with that or what would go with that or what would what would fit with that so you know you, you're given a little bit of the the jigsaw and you've got to extrapolate the rest and and for me at least it it, it comes from having a bit of technical knowledge and thinking well what what would go with that. I don't know what it's, is it, what's it like for you when you come to writing fiction? It's exactly the same way. And it's really interesting for me to hear you say that, Mark. You know, let me ask you this. I mean, do you have a feeling when you're writing a poem that, let's say you get that first line. Yeah. That the poem is already out there. Yeah. And you're just trying to find it somehow. Do you get yes. that feeling? Yeah. In fact, this is one thing Mimi said to me years ago. She said, well, you have to assume it's out there. I mean, whether or not it is, I don't know. But if you assume it's out there and you, and you try and listen for it, you'll get it much more than if you try and make it up. Because if you try and make it up, it's it's just your conscious everyday self that's trying to be clever or original. Right. I mean, have you uh, seen that TED talk that Elizabeth Gilbert Oh, yeah, 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 that's a great Yeah, one. that famous one where, where she talks about, you know, the muse and where it all comes from and how she was talking about some musician friend of hers that songs would just sort of come to him when he was driving, right? And the, the whole song would come in a flash. Uh, and and he, was, he felt like he was just kind of taking dictation in a way, right. you know? Um, I'm sure that a lot of... When Keith Richards goes down to the basement, right? I'm sure he's got, you know, there's a melody that probably starts to play in his head. And then he probably asks himself, well, what's the counter melody? You know, what's going to be the background behind that, right? And then he sort of fiddles around. He comes up with that. But it's all sort of, it was there from the start, right? Mm. Once you've got, you know, you know, then you're going to take it from there, you know? Yeah. So it, that is that mystical process, but at the same time, we have the matter-of-fact process of being able to manage it. And don't you say in the book that it's the, the key skill of the artist is being able to shuttle backwards and forth between the two? Yeah, that's, I think that's, that, that to me is this, if you ask me what is this artist's skill, and I would say this is true of the entrepreneur too, it's the ability to shuttle back and forth. And you may shuttle 10,000 times a day between the mm-hmm. conscious mind and the un- and the source of inspiration. So if you're sitting there writing that poem and it's like a tile from an old building, you sort of make these little journeys where you sort of, in your imagination, you sort of enter, you get a little more glimpse of that building and then you go right back to the paper and you write down, you know, whatever that is. And then you go back into the building mm-hmm. again and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, that's why to me, I always sort of feel like there's another dimension of reality there. And that building is speaking to you, Mark. You know, that building is there already. And it's just separated by a membrane from you and me. 
And it's sort of knocking on the glass on the window saying, hey, Mark, wake up. I got something for you. And and trying to deliver it to you. And your job as a poet is to sort of tune into that radio station, that cosmic radio station, and pick up those signals. Which is another unsettling thought, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's <laughs> you know, a very it's, encouraging it's thought. <laughs> it is. It is. It's exciting and unsettling, I think, because it's take again, by definition, it's it's listening into that other world. Yeah. But isn't that fun, you know? And the you know another thing that that I say in the artist journey, and this is certainly true of my own career. I've I've written this is like my nineteenth book, and see if this rings bells with you, Mark. I can truthfully say that every book that I've written came as a surprise to me. It was like there were certainly on on subjects that before I sort of got the idea, I wasn't even interested in that subject. And I didn't know anything about it, but and then but then but once I got into it, then I became consumed by it. So again, it's sort of like that uh, that building that you're talking about in the other dimension, talking to you and pulling you through the the membrane to the other dimension, and sort of telling you what you are interested in. Again, it comes back to the question of who am I? You know, over the course of of your career, of your body of work, the works themselves kind of tell you who who you are. And each one, at least in my experience, came as a surprise to me. And when it was done, I sort of looked at it and I go, where did that come from? Do you have that experience, Mark? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the point. It's just, oh, it's that magical, oh, oh, you know, there's something here. And that's really the payoff for the whole thing, I think, is it's just the the joy and the excitement of pursuing that and and nailing it down, and and thinking, you know, I I could never have imagined that, but actually somehow I did, or the other part of me did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Steve, we've covered a lot of ground, and I just maybe just one last question, and I'm gonna maybe call to the bar the, the grumpy, crotchety creative that we imagined in our last interview. You know, the guy or the gal who sat there saying, well. This is all very well, but what does it have to do with me on a Monday morning when I'm struggling to get my work done? I mean, how is the artist's journey going to help me then? Well, here's, here's my answer to that. When we go through our, our lives, they unspool day, 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 right? And it's easy for us to say to ourselves, well, it's just one sort of smooth, uh, you know, passage and it's boring. You know, we don't, we, we don't know, kind of know where we are. But if you think about your life in terms of a hero's journey that then changes to an artist's journey, it puts things into perspective. And you could say to yourself, like I would say, if someone asked me, where am I on that spectrum? I'm like 40 years into my artist journey. But if I were a younger person and I was somewhere near the end of my hero's journey or I just started my, my artist journey, it would be very helpful to me to have this concept in my mind. You know, if I were goodwill hunting and I had just gotten in my car in mm. Boston and was heading out to California yeah. to hook up with Mini Driver, it would be very helpful to me if I could say, oh, I get it. I'm at the end of my hero's journey and I'm about to start on my artist's journey. And then that would give me context and make me and make me see, you know, where I am. And that could be very helpful so that we don't feel just lost in a drift. We can, we can uh, get our bearings and say, okay, I see right where I am. 
you know, it's like in school, school is broken into like three year or four year increments. And we know that we're, you know, in our first year at university and pretty soon we'll be in our fourth year at university. And then we'll go on to medical school and bump, 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 right? And it helps us to know, oh, I'm in my third year at university. Okay. Uh, that, then I have to learn this. I have to do that, et cetera. Uh, so to know about the hero's journey and the artist's journey can kind of give us, uh, get, help us get our bearings of where we are and, and give us, make, make us feel like our feet are on the ground and we're not just floundering. Great. And so this leads into what we were discussing earlier on, would, I think would be a great creative challenge. Would you like to, to share it with our listeners, Steve? Okay, yeah, this was, we talked about this earlier, Mark, and I was uh, actually going to put this challenge out to my own people on my blog, which maybe I will do too. And sort of the question is, to each individual, where are you on this spectrum right now, the spectrum of hero's journey, artist's journey? Um, are you, you know, four years into your artist's journey, or are you still in your hero's journey? And I, I, that would be the creative or the, the challenge. Tell us where you are right now. That's great. And hopefully that will bring people a little of the relief and perspective that I could maybe have done with when I was younger. Yeah, we all could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I sort of wonder, Mark, even if we knew, I don't know if it would really have eased the pain. Well, certainly, maybe a little bit. Maybe, the, maybe a little. Maybe the pain of not understanding the pain. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So, Steve, thank you so much. As always, it's been an inspiration to listen to you, and I'm sure everyone listening to this will have got a lot of wisdom from it. Um, the book is The Artist's Journey, and I can wholeheartedly recommend it, uh, especially if, like me, you have a taste for mythology and, and storytelling and trying to relate that to your everyday life and practice as an artist. Um, Steve, where else should people go to, to get more of your words of wisdom <laughs> well they're on you know uh, amazon.com and uh, and um, all of the online things and for the artist journey we have it in ebook and audiobook and also um, I have a little publishing company called black Irish books and uh, you can just you know google that and that and get stuff there and I have a blog that's just my name stephenpressfield.com where I do a Wednesday a writing Wednesdays post every Wednesday. Um, and that's, that's my presence on the web. Um, and Mark, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's, it's always great to talk to you because we're so simpatico and we're, you know, we're on the same wavelength about all this stuff. And I hope, I hope this, this was helpful to, uh, to your listeners. Thank you, Steve. I'm, I'm sure it was. And I would just like to just emphasize, if you go to stephenpressfield.com and, and subscribe to Steve's blog, I mean, it's one of the very few blogs that I still read uh, every week after all these years. And, I, you know, The Artist's Journey, you actually had a preview of it there. So, you know, you sometimes you get a sneak preview of what's coming down the line from Steve. Uh, it's a really, really great resource for any creative. So, Steve, thank you once again. Uh, for all your wisdom. Thank you, Mark. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure. We'll do it again. You have been listening to The 21st Century Creative, hosted by me, Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned as well as all the archived episodes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews. 
and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative interested in getting my help as a private coaching client, you can learn about how I help my clients at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.